Hey folks, welcome back to the Dark Horse Podcast live stream Q and A one thirteen. Yes. Yeah. That's there it, it is. Okay. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna hard cap in an hour today, um, so that Zach can catch his plane. Yes. Yeah. From the Discord this week again. Um, <clears throat> One of the uh, one of the perks of joining either of our Patreons is that you get access to the Discord, and then every week they um, vote on a question to ask, which we start off the Q and A with. I should say that in the main live stream occasionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, humans. The question begins. Are very good at recognizing faces. However, when encountered with a vastly different race from our own, did the cat just put his paw in my water? No, but he did think about it. Yeah, I'm going to start over. This, this this is a court question this week. Humans are very good at recognizing faces. However, when encountered with a vastly dif- different race from our own, everyone seems to look very similar, and we have a hard time differencing them from each other. Could this be a possibly sinister evolutionary trait to more easily other them in case of a hostile encounter? Uh, yeah, it can be, uh, or could be, but I would say that that is... It's like downstream. Not the most likely thing going on here. Yeah. What I would say is the most likely thing going on here, and this is a testable hypothesis, is that people tend to be grouped for various reasons by race. And because of that, what it means is that your developmental experience at recognizing subtleties of faces is going to be biased in the direction of those you were around. So what you would expect, if this was true, the prediction of the hypothesis, is that if you are a person who is a minority raised in a group of people of some different race, that you will actually have high acuity for their faces. Yep. Um, <clears throat> and a longitudinal study, which probably can't be done because the earlier data weren't taken, uh, would be controlling for country, controlling for space. Um, as we become a more global culture, uh, people have um, less of this inability. They, they have an increased ability uh, to recognize people uh, who look wildly different from themselves as effectively they are being exposed to many different types of um, people and faces in their early developmental environment. Right. Now, I would I would suggest that there's another realm in which we can see the same s- sort of pattern play out in which the answers are much more obvious, mm-hmm. which is language. Right. So you will notice that I am speaking English. I had noticed that. Well done. Thank you. Despite having zero English ancestry. Mm, yeah, I did right? a little bit. You got Maybe you learned it from me. It's possible I did. That seems unlikely, though. Mm, yeah. But on account of when we met, you were already speaking English. Yeah, falsified. I anticipated that our meeting that hard. and prepared. Um, but you definitely didn't learn it from me. No, that's true. Yeah. I learned it for you. All right. Um, my point, though, is I have really good acuity in English, right? Like the subtleties that I can detect in English are pretty extraordinary. My acuity in Lithuanian is zero. And yet, and yet, you didn't pick Lithuanian out of a hat. Uh, you do have some ancestral stuff in, in that part of the world. Well, that part of the world, none, none from Lithuania yeah. itself. But, um, but anyway, my point... Baltic area. Yeah, my, yeah. my point is, and actually I, I have long wondered... There are certain instances in which an immigrant, obviously a highly intelligent immigrant, is, in my opinion, taken in by a transparent uh, 
con artist, let's say. Okay. And my thought has always been, I wonder if you're in your second language, mm. if the subtleties that might cause somebody for whom it was their first language to think that doesn't, doesn't, mm, not quite doesn't right sound there. quite right, yeah. that that's just harder to detect. And yeah. so that if you were basically more likely to be taken in in a, in a foreign language, even one that you're perfectly fluent in. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, what I would say is, you could argue, and I do actually believe that language, um, that there's an evolutionary story that is true about language in which, you know, we think language's purpose is to communicate. No, language's purpose is to communicate to those you want to understand what you're saying and to avoid communicating to those who you would rather not know what you're saying and that the divergence of language has much to do with this, I believe is likely. But, um, and, there, and there there are reasons to think that in the phylogeny of language, but yeah, no, there got there's, there's a there's a lot here, right? And there, I mean, you see this even at the level of non-language communication in other animals, where single single types of vocalizations uh, will both be sort of come hither calls to females and stay the fuck away uh, indicators to to males. So, right. Um, single single things uh, can have multiple divergent adaptive uh, effects. So I first had this thought uh, when I was doing my first field gig in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I were already together, so you well know all of this and uh, you know know that I was thinking about this when I came back. But the point is, my experience living in Jamaica, and I was living way the hell off in backcountry Jamaica with a Jamaican family. You were, they, you were Bob Trivers' assistant. Yep. They took me in as their own. They fed me, housed me. I became friends with the people who were my age. Kids followed me around. Anyway, it was a really interesting experience. But I was always struck by the fact that if I was walking alone at night, you know, on one of these country lanes, dark backcountry Jamaica, no overhead lights, anything like this, you couldn't exactly see who you were encountering, mm-hmm. right? The difficulty at understanding what was being conveyed was extreme. And, for you. Right. Not because, for them. Right. For them, not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but the point was there are certain subtleties, like the fact that yes can mean no, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, which I yeah man, I thought at the time <laughs> like, wouldn't an enslaved culture have come up with ways to speak such that the slaveholders would have no idea what was being conveyed? I mean, obviously right. you would, right? Right, of course. And so you know, me having the Queen's English and therefore effectively, you know a schooling in the slaveholders language which they also understood because there was television well and right the so they is, were hearing the queen's english all the time right but it wasn't the english that they were mostly right. and, using and they would learn to... it in school right oh, the right. queen's okay. english is taught in school yeah. um and so yes they're absolutely fluent in in my language and their language is a struggle for me and contains all of these things that are like almost perfectly ironic inversions of a meaning mm-hmm. um and anyway, it, it occurred to me at the time that this was uh, something you would you would expect a population that had reason to need to speak in secret would come up with uh, effectively a code that would become, uh, you know, a native language to them and would be just difficult to parse and impossible to prove and and all of that. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> on a related but actually totally different topic, can you remind me uh, what was meant uh, when your Jamaican friend said rat and rat bat? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, or tell tell our audience. It was bat and rat bat. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So bat means moth and rat bat means bat. Um, there it is. 
Yeah, I was I, I actually I said remind me, so I was like rat and rat bat. How do you get there? But no, it's bat and rat bat. It was bat. That and means moth. Yes, which it actually it makes actually a kind do. of sense I mean, the because way that they these, flutter around. Yeah. And there's also a giant moth in Jamaica yeah. that you know, if you're not paying real close attention, does sort of seem like a bat has flown by. And if you, I mean, if it for anyone who's watching who spent any time actually watching volant animals that is flying animals, um, high on the wing, maybe swifts and swallows can be confused for bats. But if you know what time of day you're looking at them, you know, generally not so much. Um, but if you're at all close to them, most birds and bats just do not fly in the same way at all. And if you're close to them, the way that a bat uh, will move around a cluttered environment is very much, um, it is more similar to the way that a moth does than um, than a bird does. Yeah, at least, for, at least for bats that are <clears throat> clutter specialists. Right. You know, yeah. And which is a lot of the bats that we encounter. Right? Mm-hmm. These little hawking insectivores, yeah. like under, um, understory bats, effectively. <clears throat> yeah, there are yeah. some bats that are you know long distance uh, efficient flyers who have a different pattern. But anyway, yeah, it, yeah. it is it is the same. But there were a number of these in in Jamaica where something where there was a language swap, like um, avocado was pear, mm. which I thought was interesting. I mean, the reason yeah. for it was pretty obvious. Yeah. But and there and there were no actual pairs. I certainly didn't encounter yeah. it and you wouldn't really It's pretty really temperate. Ex- it's yeah, pretty temperate you for it. expect it. Yeah. Um, and let's see. Isn't there something even just with the fruits, like the sweet sop and sour sop, or is that just... Um, no, I think sweet sop and sour sop were... Boy, it's been so long. I've yeah. forgotten some of these things. But um, yeah, there, there were a number of these where some, some word had been swapped in. And uh, uh, anyway. Cool. Interesting. Okay, <clears throat> going to the questions that have been asked in the Q&A at darkhorsesubmissions.com. What are your best and worst predictions for the outcome of the pandemic? Is there even the possibility of an end? Do you think states like Florida and Texas are safe from vaccine mandates, etc.? Thank you so much. You're the only ones I trust. Hugs. Um, thank you for that. We shouldn't be the only ones you trust, but we do appreciate that we have earned your trust. And um, there are there are a lot of people who are trying to make sense of all of this and are not being um, and are not being dishonest uh, when they change their minds and um, are are trying to take in new data insofar as it's available. Um, but we certainly count ourselves in that group. Yeah, I mean, as, the real question is: Do you have a toolkit that's any good? Yeah. Are you committed to using it, which then forces you to correct things if you get it wrong? Right. And are you immune? to various kinds of pressures, either positive incentives or threats that might persuade you to uh, sign up for some other narrative. And surprising how few people, you know, have all three of those. But nonetheless, there there is a small group of them. Um, So the question, so I think think what is meant here is sort of most hopeful and least hopeful predictions, best and worst predictions, um, because, you know, we could could play at giving really bad predictions, but I don't think that's what's being asked. (laughs) The bad predictions uh, are are numerous. Yeah. In fact, Mm. infinite. Yeah, just, you know, go go check with the CDC. Hey, there you go. Um, um, Yeah. You know, with regard to least hopeful prediction for the outcome of the pandemic, the next question, is there even the possibility of an end? Well, you know, one of the least hopeful predictions is that um, this and the the creeping and sometimes not so creeping totalitarianism uh, is here to stay and it's doing a job and it's doing a job that uh, that people 
not us, not the mass, the vast majority of us, but some people want done. And so we are, um, we are stuck with it, which is part of why I find so much hope in the truckers convoy and also part of, you know, but then, you know, maybe to go to, um, you know, dire prediction again, literally nothing in the New York Times or the Washington Post, not yeah. even a mention right. of what is a extraordinarily large number of people and disruption and activism. Aren't the people the New York Times and Washington Post in favor of activism? Because I was assured that they were. And I was assured, in fact, wow. that when you poured out into the streets to challenge white supremacy, then you were actually, you were cloaked in COVID safety, like you couldn't get the disease. And it turns out it was the being outside part that protected people, not so much the, um, they were in favor of hashtag Black Lives Matter, et cetera. Um, but you know, it all works. Yeah. All right. So I want to divide the um, negative predictions into two, because okay. you've said it may be that the totalitarianism shit is with us permanently, which I agree yeah. is a possibility. Now, how that plays out, I think it could could, it could um, recede and give us a breather and then come up with a new excuse. And in some sense, we can argue that, you know, the Patriot Act was round one and COVID, is, COVID tyranny is round two and who knows. There's a lot of this three. that feels like practice. Yeah, or it's it's incremental, right? Well, but I'll, we're just uh, data are being collected on all of us and how we are all responding and who the troublemakers are and uh, and which people will fall in line and become extremely useful idiots uh, to the powers that be. And now, now a lot of that is known that wasn't transparent before. I mean, we, we've all learned a lot about who will fall which ways. And um, those those are data that are useful uh, to anyone who wants to control a population in the future. Right. There's what they know, and there's also what they've gained that just you lose track of, right? I mean, so um, yes, uh, the NDAA 2012, section 1022 and 1023 or whatever it was, um, you know, When's the last time you heard that, right? We, we don't talk now. about it. Right. That is, the, I guess, technically, yeah. that would be the last time. But, yeah. um, but, the, but the point is, most of us are just exhausted. And, you know, so we don't talk about it that frequently, even though the point is, you know what? It never went anywhere. You know, I know you were, you were going somewhere specific, but I just want to, an aside for this, this term exhausted. I used to rail against people claiming to be, I'm so tired, I just can't do my thing. And you know, often it was the people who were doing make work and not contributing anything and were so busy with all of these things that if they had just said no to, the world would not have collapsed in any way and it just would have gone undone and it would have been fine and they could have cleared their schedule if they wanted to actually do important work. The fact is they didn't have important work to do and that is part of why it's useful to claim to be so exhausted all the time. And this exhausted thing also emerged, of course, during um, sort of the woke revolution around, you know. Oh, yeah. Emotional you know, the, the emotional labor, I just, it's not my job to explain to you how exhausted I am. Um, and yet, what this has done is effectively isolated and actually exhausted us, so, you know, all of us at some level, um, such that we cannot even remember fully, and this is part of where you're going, we cannot even fully remember what we had and what kinds of ways we had of being in the world. And we've just, it's like, it's... It's given us all like SSRIs. It's like flattened our affect. Right. We, we, um, we have lost the ability to have it capture our attention and convince us that there's something. I mean, for except for those of us who are unvaxxed and who are constantly being like 
you know, oh, you can't go in there. You can't go in there. You can't do this. And so, you know, the the people who are vaccinated but just kind of over it um, are increasingly acting like, you know, drug just, okay, let me get back to, I remember that I used to do stuff. I don't remember what it was, but you know, I know I liked parties, that sort of thing. And um, and there are some of us kind of like, it's still going on. It's getting worse. Well, it's still going on. But my point is the COVID thing is still going on. Yeah. You mean the the public, the policy responses and such. Right. Yeah. Whatever that, you know, yeah. you've got COVID, you've got a, a pathogen, and mm-hmm. you've got tyranny riding on that carrier wave. Yes. As right? you said last week, yes. Right. And so that's still happening. But I also know, you know, years ago, how many years ago? I couldn't even tell you. Brilliant presentation by, I think he was a graduate student. He might have been a postdoc, computer scientist, who demonstrated in a live presentation that there was a way that you could capture a network printer. I believe it was HP network printers were the most vulnerable, but it was a widespread vulnerability that you could get somebody to print a document. And in that document was effectively a, uh, a, a bit of malware that captured the network interface and then basically left your printer as a vulnerability in any network that could be accessed, right? Now, have you ever heard that before? From you. From me. Yeah. That's that's it. Right. So the point is I, you know, but I don't I don't yet see the connection to what I mean it's it's many, horrifying, but I don't yet see the connection to what we we're talking about. Was the problem ever cured? With regard to uh, networked printers, and by networked right. printers, you don't mean you're in an office and it's networked to other printers. You you mean in your home where you've got a Wi-Fi network and you no, want no. to print. Wirelessly. I mean a printer that is on your network with your other computers that right. is now accessible to the outside world because it has right. But I feel like that's 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 the clarification I was making when you say networked. You're not talking about and inherently a large office space. You're talking about your private printer at home. Um, if you've got it, um, just just being able to print wirelessly. Right. Has, it doesn't even have to be wireless, right? It can be your Ethernet connection. Um, but the point is your network can be your computer and your printer or your network I can be... I feel like that was not what you had said back in the day when no. you told me that. The but point okay. is it's just the interface and the printer and okay. whether or not the printer has encountered okay. this thing. And the point is, there was at the point that this was demonstrated, there was no way to deal with it. You couldn't do a firmware update and restore your printer. It was just cooked. It was mm-hmm. a permanent vulnerability. Almost nobody discussed this. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what happened to it. So the point is, well, does that mean that whatever engineered that vulnerability in there has access to arbitrarily networks across everywhere? I mean, so the point is, okay, we've just forgotten that. And I go around talking to people about, you know, is your network printer safe? And they're like, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Right. right? Um, and how many of those are? How many of us remember that, uh, you know, in the madness after, you know, the Patriot Act, that there were actually governmental operations intercepting laptops and things that you had ordered from somewhere and modifying the hardware in real time and delivering them as if nothing had happened, right? You could order a laptop and the laptop had been altered by who knows what that wanted access to your data and swore that you were, you know, a risk. Are you sure that's a known thing? Of course. And the point is we've all forgotten. Well, I just, I don't, I, 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 I would like I don't know. I don't know that one. Right, and, of course. Well, n- no, not of course. There, there are a lot of things you could say that you could say, of course, and don't, don't turn out to be true. Uh, my point is we've forgotten these things. They were discussed. There are things. There are a lot of things of that we've forgotten. And I, because I know you, 
I assume that you are remembering this correctly, but you can't get in the habit of just saying, well, of course, I, you know, I just said it and you've forgotten it, and that's evidence that it's been forgotten. That's not evidence that it's been forgotten. I mean, obviously, if it's not true, it's not right. true. But, um, but my point is I could come up with a dozen of these things that were of fundamental importance, right? The fact that you used to be able to click a switch on Google and look at a global search, and then it disappeared. Yes. Right? These things happen. They briefly capture people's attention and a bunch of us go, well, wait, don't you see what that might do? And then we, it disappears even from our memory. So to the example from Google that you just gave, I think um, this gets back to the point I believe you were originally trying to make around um, we have incremental losses of freedom that we forget we ever had. Right. Okay. And so the point is this particular iteration surrounding COVID will have created inroads some of them we may not even know because the whole point may sure. be well we secretly need to track the you know right. the unvaccinated or no it will be anti-vaxxer they will use that and right. the point is that will put us on some list and you know then who knows what it is that that means that they have the right to you know to monitor us for yeah right forever after and so the point is you see the incremental thing where it you know it crosses into the the liminal space and you're aware that something is happening and then it disappears from the liminal space and you don't know what it's doing and then it pops up again yeah and this one happens to be the covid version of that but there's some ongoing thing where we keep losing our privacy mm -hmm. right incidentally yep. um this is exactly what uh bobby kennedy was trying to say at the mandate march and it was uh, you know he has been straw manned into an absurd state by nearly everyone by nearly everyone but but the point is okay we've got the tyranny side and then there's the question about what's the bad what's the negative part you know prediction for the pandemic itself mm -hmm. a these sons of bitches <laughs> botched <coughs> the opportunity that we had to drive this thing extinct assuming that the story of its origin is something like what we now think it is it's possible that it emerged much earlier, that it was endemic in animals. There's weird stuff. Yeah, at the point that any of us have heard of it, it was never possible to get rid of it. Right. Yeah. It's possible that the deer and the mice um, preceded the human thing, right. in which case, who knows. But, but if the story is anything like we are told it is, even now that there is grudging acknowledgement that a laboratory leak is likely, many of us would say essentially certain at this point. Oh, but wait, didn't this week card-carrying molecular virologists claim that it was likely zoonotic, according to, and that was the phrase that Fauci used, card-carrying molecular virologists. I love the idea that we're going to start <laughs> issuing cards to molecular virologists to figure out whether we should listen to them. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, before you speak, can you show us your credentials, sir? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um Here's what I want to know. Okay, so there are card-carrying uh, molecular virologists. Um, what are the other virologists made out of? Made out of? If not molecules. Oh. You see? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, well, okay. So what do you do when a molecular virologist meets a cellular virologist? Um, uh, the scales fall from their eyes. I don't know. Oh, something. Yeah, something. Yeah. Okay. Um, but anyway, so, so the this point is, is... We're still in question one here. Yeah. All right. So let's and, just... And let's, we haven't done any most hopeful either. Let's just finish just this tougher. Yep. The bad version of the pandemic thing is that it is endemic and it continues to evolve in weird ways that we don't necessarily anticipate because it being a Franken virus, as you put it, uh, is not obligated to follow rules of thumb that we think we've learned about other viruses mm -hmm. and it keeps popping up or it gives people excuses to claim that something 
requires our immediate attention and vaccination or whatever they're going to do. Yeah. Um, so, so many things to be a scared, a scared of. A scared of. A scared of. A sca- <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were headed to Spanish, but it sounds like you just went Irish. Um, but uh, okay. So on the positive side, mm-hmm. oh, one more thing, not the tyranny exactly, but the scramble for the middle ground also creates a dire yes. potential here. Yes. It facilitates the, the tyranny. Right. The spread of the tyranny. Right. Now, the... the and, the I, and the people who are scrambling for the middle ground would never imagine that that's what they were facilitating. I don't, I, I don't think they're... I think they're thinking about their own well-being and they're yes. so obsessed with it that they will, they will do this if given the opportunity and um, we will watch them because, mm-hmm. God damn it, this cannot be allowed to obscure the story of what actually happened. Mm-hmm. But the point is, there is also the potential for something marvelous to emerge out of this on the human side, if not the pathology side, mm-hmm. um, or the pathogen side. On the human side, the discovery that all of our institutions failed us at the level of the construction of a dangerous pathogen, the accidental release of the dangerous pathogen, the... Uh, you just stay there. Uh oh. <laughs> was bothering you? <laughs> um, I just remembered that it was bothering other people. Oh, we well, heard. See? I see, and I don't think I fixed it. It's the thought that counts. I fix yeah, I think it's pretty fixed. No, it's a little skewed. Right. I'm going to go back to saying what I was saying. I did not. I really did not want you to pivot and put me on screen, Zach. Doing that. What? Camera? Oh. I tell you what, it's a small enough people who are troubled by the perpendicularness of that particular object. If you could just simply, if it doesn't look perpendicular to you and it's bugging you, could you just tilt your screen so it does look perpendicular? That's not, I don't, so I feel like I'm, were I a viewer of the show? And, you know, I don't, I'm not, I don't tend over into OCD territory really, but I feel like. If I was looking at us a long time and there was something that was supposed to be vertical between us and it was not quite vertical, and especially with all the damn horizontal lines you put on the wall back there, I mean, you squared it right up and then for something to be explicitly not squared, I, I can I see it getting to me. Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> so, okay. I really wanted to just be able to do it off screen, have no one talk about it. I think we came, I failed. We came totally very failed. close to you adjusting it without anyone noticing. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> All right. As you were, everyone. So here's my point. Yes. The construction of the virus, the accidental, hopefully, release of the virus, mm-hmm. the cover-up, the botched public health response, the insane vaccination campaign, all of that stuff has exposed the um, complete collapse of our governmental structures, of the press, which isn't even... Uh, reporting on the convoy of the academy, yep. right? Uh, uh, of big tech, it is. It is revealed. If you have eyes to see it, it has revealed the collusion, the trusted news news initiative, mm-hmm. Gavi, right? The ways in which all of these things are intermingled, and they have become. Uh, some kind of, you know, a Goliath or a Hydra. I was just going right? to say Hydra, yeah. Yep. Um, so if we look at that and we say, my God, look at the cost of COVID mm-hmm. and look at what the systems that were supposed to prevent this did. They actually caused it and then covered it up and then lied and then put the children at risk, right? 
we have no choice. If we look that in the eye, we have no choice but to say, well, this system is completely broken. Mm -hmm. What is the best shot we have at restoring it, right? Yep. So I think the middle grounders are going to put a roadblock in that, and they are going to make it very hard for that to occur. And we have to get in the road of the middle grounders so that we actually have that conversation. But if you want to know what the upside is here is the upside is that I sometimes say certain stories diagnose the system. Yeah. Right. The press was diagnosed by the woke revolution. It was diagnosed by the evergreen story because certain parts of the press wouldn't report it or they would report it upside down. Yeah. Right. This is diagnosing the entire system from yes. academy through big tech. Yes. Government, public health, all of it. And that lesson could be the moment at which we wake up and say, my God, what have we done to ourselves? Yeah. Um, I will say one of the things that I wanted to talk about in the first hour, um, and this is a good point, good time just to insert it here um, so that it's been said. Zach, if you would show my screen, this is just, this is for my tweet of this guy, then I want to point out this guy's amazing thread. So I've said, uh, so he wrote, I, this is Alex Washburn. I see these institutions as unlikely to reform because scientists with undeserved power leading them stifle competition. Unelected heads of agencies underserved our democratic deliberations by killing scientific debate with hostile slogans, a false consensus, and abuse of power. About which I said, institutions like the CDC and the NIH, which fund and drive policy for so much of American science, have failed. Many scientists are alarmed, but not nearly enough. What becomes of a society that forfeits science and gives the reins to a few who crave power and fame? This guy, Alex Washburn, um, has written quite a thread um, that begins, as someone registered Democrat nine months before I was born and a lifelong scientist, son of a scientist mom, I've seen scientists oversimplifying and demonizing competing views. This culture of unscientific hostility started at the top, the heads of top Fed funding institutions. He then just walks through it, and this is a young former academic who's walked away from a career in academic science because of what he's seen during COVID. Increasingly, people I'm hearing stories like this. Now, that means there are about to be a whole lot of actually qualified, actual scientists who aren't working in academia and are looking for work to do. Um, but what it doesn't mean <clears throat> is that uh, the 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 tight reins uh, that the NIH and the CDC and the NSF and DOD and the WHO and you know all the rest of them have on who gets to do science um, are going to be loosened anytime soon. So that needs to happen. Well, that needs to happen. And I would just say the fly in the ointment is that, unfortunately, the corrupt system we have has trained a large fraction of the people who should be capable of doing good work into something uh, sloppy and very sensitive to um, incentives that have been used to manipulate them. And so unfortunately, there aren't as many good scientists waiting to be freed from this as one would hope. Yeah, but I think there might be more than we yeah. know. There are more than we yeah. know because lots of people are stuck in a system that basically forces them to, to do this even though they yep. would prefer it that yep. it didn't. Exactly. Um, we have two questions today that are you know, asking us to engage something or someone that we've that we've responded to in the past. I'm, I'm going to read them out loud, but um, you know, this one. Uh, <clears throat> apologies, I may be butchering your name. Jean-Francois Gariepi is seeking a friendly scientific discussion with you. Please indulge my good friend Ethan Ralph by going on his Odyssey show to speak with uh, JFG. Consider, please. Um, so this is someone we've heard of. He sent us his book 
neither of us have looked at it. We've been involved in a lot of other things, and it's not that we intend never to look at it, but um, we are not going to feel pressured by such pleas. Yes, and I would say I find his followers strangely rabid, and it actually creates more of an obstacle to wanting to engage that material because I'm not exactly sure what's causing that phenomenon. Yeah, that's true. This question doesn't it. sound that way to I me. Agree. But, um, but I agree. But I agree. In the past, um, it has it is not been... I don't like this phrase, like a good look. There's there's something charged there that isn't about a simple scientific discussion. Yeah. Um, So, hold on. The other one that I wanted to say, um, oh, Brett, is this your explorer mechanism? And it's this thing, um, cyclical metapopulation mechanism hypothesis. Please show it briefly. Um, which you have ref- you we have talked about briefly before, and I've said I don't, I don't think so. This is not quite um, what you and we are on about, um, and so we're not going to spend. Uh, it's hard for me to react to it because from that, you know, it's it's too vague a title. You've looked at this before. I remember okay. you looking at this before, and I don't remember in what show, like where, where you talked about it. But um, let's just say in the past is when it happened. Oh well, that's not that useful, is it? Okay. Um, Given the dire state of affairs and how systemic and entrenched many of the issues are, to what extent are fundamental changes achievable? Do you have a roadmap? Love from Japan. Um, Fundamental changes are achievable. The obstacle is going to be two things. One, a short supply of people who have a toolkit and... um, values that will prevent them from being captured and turned into tools. They exist, but they don't exist in the kinds of numbers that they would exist if you had an honorable system teaching people to think and and work, right? You have a system that corrupts people, and that corruption goes right down to the fundamental mechanisms of the mind. And Mm -hmm. so anyway, the, the, the fixed system is going to be a bit hard to staff until the system has had time to generate a larger number of people with the requisite skills. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is the the incentives surrounding and a full, thorough investigation of what happened and how we got here. I mean, how exactly are you going to address the fact that, you know, the New York Times and the Washington Post don't seem to report on major news events that don't happen to smile on the particular causes they've signed up for, right? What is that? Is this Project Mockingbird just owns those two things? And the point is, you know, we need new newspapers. You know, it's going to be hard to free a system like this if lots of people and, you know, it's painful, but some of our friends are among these people who are just itching to get back into a position in, you know, in the elite institutions and are unwilling to recognize the complete collapse or the total parasitism of those institutions by forces that turn them ironic, turn them against their, you know, their stated goals. The piece that I was working on for my substack for next week that I'm going to put off a little bit because I've got a couple of um, letters, uh, from people requesting exemption. Anyway, I'm not going to talk about what I'm about to post, but um, soon, but not immediately, I'm going to be writing exactly about this, the distinction between elite and special, as our friend Rich Devinney, who's a former Navy SEAL officer, has described in an excellent 
essay, um, basically arguing just you know, one of the theses of his of his of his piece, which is directed at other Navy SEALs and Navy SEAL commanders, is uh, that you know they are the special forces. And increasingly in the media and the government, they're referred to as elite, the elite team, the elite soldiers, the elite units. And he argues, and I am completely compelled that he is right, and this is something that you and I have been thinking about from a different, you know, coming from a totally different place um, for for you know decades. Like he has been thinking about it from you know the perspective of you know special ops, um, is that elite is actually a lower bar, and uh, elite also. Um, trains you, indicates that you know how to deal with something that isn't known. Um, and special is different. And special is therefore more powerful and should be more scary to an enemy if you're, you know, doing special ops or to, um, you know, to any kind of competitor if you are just engaged in um, a life of the mind and trying to figure out what's true and trying to do, you know, innovate technologically or scientifically or artistically or anything, uh, that what you want is to be um, special and you might also therefore be elite, the, you know, sort of thumbnail description being that elite means better, special means different. And uh, the idea that wouldn't it be great if we could just recover uh, our elite institutions and get back to the way we were? No, uh, uh-uh. uh, uh-uh. we 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 need a revolution that 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 destroys the kind of elitism that is exactly what got us here into this mess. Yep, I agree. And you know the problem is. Well, that doesn't sound very likely. No, it doesn't. But in part, it doesn't sound very likely that we could accomplish the goal because people have ignored it for too long. And some of us have been trying to point out, hey, this is a problem. Your 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 academic institutions are completely parasitized by perverse incentives that cause them to spit out stuff that isn't science. And the point is that, okay, maybe now with COVID, we can make that point and people will have some idea what we're talking about. But mm. the point is lots of people right. <clears throat> use But lots heuristic. of people still not. Well, lots of people still not. And the problem is um, we can't listen to those people. This is everything that happened downstream of COVID appears to be the result of a self-inflicted wound. Somebody, a small set of somebodies, overrode a rule that said no gain-of-function research, right? They overrode that rule. That rule was put in place to protect us from exactly this thing. Somebody overrode it, and they just so happen to be the same somebody who is in charge of figuring out what we do. And guess what? They're not doing a good job of that either. In fact, they're doing the inverse of a good job. Yeah. So, you know, that tells you the job we have to, to fix it. Indeed. Okay, let's try to get through a few more questions. Um, fellow Portlander here. Um, Portland, what are we called? Portland Eats? <laughs> I think it's Portlander. Portlander, yeah. Just as fellow PDX here. Um, I want to put flyers up to help spread data-centric info to help people wake up. What do you suggest? COVID, corruption, vax, or something else to be most effective? That's really interesting. And I would love I would love for you to um, write to our moderator and get in touch with um, with me if you end up doing this and you know see what these flyers are and and such. Um but in terms of you know COVID corruption vaccines, probably given Portland, um, I would think that it would be either corruption or mandates. Um, I'm I was alarmed 
actually yes yesterday was it that i was walking around um east side for a while yesterday or two days ago no, it was yesterday um i don't remember in the last couple of days it's been really beautiful here but very cold um so as long as you're dressed appropriately really easy to walk around it's not wet it's not icy or anything um super dry super super blue skies um <clears throat> but i was walking around a lot of um southeast portland that i haven't spent a lot of time in and i was amazed at how many places um wouldn't let me in the door uh, according to the signs on the doors and, and in a couple places i saw people checking the the exports at the door and that doesn't happen so much in um on the west side um and i hadn't thought of the river being this kind of dividing line this is something we talked about a fair bit um just you and me last night. Um, but so I do think that it might, that the way to wake people up might be different in different parts of the city, actually. Um, that the parts of the city that have been more likely to put up don't hurt me signs and flyers and, you know, fall into the Black Lives Matter stuff and um, the places where Antifa is, you know, are, are, are likely emerging from are more likely to have, um, you know, to be banning unvaccinated people from restaurants and, and such, um, which is interesting, right? Like, you, I wouldn't necessarily have put those things into the same group, but they seem to be. Um, and so if we can appeal to people's sort of original liberalism, you know, with the assumption that Portland is pretty, pretty damn blue, um, then um, posters against mandates and posters that point out corruption seem to me to be the places where people are most likely to be reminded of their of their roots and what they actually care about and what their values are. A um, couple things. I was looking for a an account. There's a Twitter account that has cropped up in my awareness recently that is uh, Portland specific and uh, it is um, focused on all of the right issues, and I can't figure out. What is it Rose City Outrage? Yeah, I think it may be Rose City Outrage. Mm -hmm. um, in any case, it's worth signing up for it because I, I think it actually has its finger on the pulse mm -hmm. in some sense. Yep. I think that there is a lot of... But check it out, Rose City Outrage. You might like Coke Industries. <laughs> cute. Yeah, cute Twitter. Very so, cute. So anyway, here, here's here's the point. You don't want to waste any time trying to appeal to people who can't be reached. And I think there's a large group of people that are um, kind of into the power that comes from certain aspects of this, whether it's the BLM stuff or it's the COVID stuff. Don't bother with that. There are a lot of people in Portland yeah. who so are aware, hey, Somebody attacked our police and the crime rate is going through the roof, right? They're not happy about that. Businesses Gee, are I wonder why. shutting down. The homelessness problem is absolutely out of control and there appears to be no effort to do anything useful. People, you know, drag uh, abandoned cars. and you know. <laughs> Not abandoned cars. I mean, car theft is also through the roof. Well, right. So there's all of these things that any rational person living in Portland is pretty upset about at least privately and if you want if you want to make a dent i think pointing out hey the city functioned and now it functions less well as a result of a lot of this nonsense and uh that 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 does animate people and people frankly are leaving for completely understandable reasons yeah okay um the only way I see the narrative surviving is for a new variant to appear, given the ambivalence regarding Omicron. What are the chances? We just saw yesterday 
that there's some scary new coronavirus variant that was just found in China. Well, let me say this. You know, your, your point about the data stream is so serious because who the can, fact is, who knows if there is a new variant, right? If you're going right. to take, if you're going to, you know, fire healthcare workers who won't get vaccinated and then claim that your healthcare system is overburdened and then play games where people who may or may not have a positive COVID test get filed as if they are in the hospital for COVID, right? If you're going to play all of these games, mm -hmm. the point is... It, oh, and you don't count as vaccinated until two weeks after, which means anything that happens to you within two weeks of getting vaccinated counts as, oh, often that's actually, we're going to call that COVID. Right. So... All of these games mean that actually we have no good way of detecting whether there is or isn't a variant and whether it does or doesn't have certain effects. Right. You know, uh, see earlier point about the absurdly low quality of the tests we have at our own disposal to even check whether we're on the same page. Yeah. So someone actually asks um, in here, I saw it. Da, da, da. Um, ah. Your kit developed pre-Omicron targeted alpha spike, maybe? Package insert might say. Uh, it didn't. I looked. But um, but I think that's, you know, the, the fact that the tests, insofar as they might have been effective, um, have clearly lost a tremendous efficacy now might well be about Omicron. And, and indeed, at one point in the last couple of weeks, I think I said on air that there was a, that there, that some people were arguing that this actually should be called SARS-CoV-3. That it was yep. so different, um, in which case, yeah, you wouldn't expect the tests to work, even so far as they did work before. But 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 the point is, look, then that's a flaw in the test at a different level, right? If you're sending out a test that isn't applicable to the currently circulating variant, and people aren't aware that that's a variable that they need to pay attention to, and they need to ignore these tests or throw them out, replace them, whatever it is, that's yeah. another. That's still on you for sending out these freaking tests and not allow allowing us to know what they even are. So. Well, in the case of still on you, this is private enterprise. Now, of course, Biden is now sending out, or you know, the administration is now sending out tests, small number of tests for free to people who ask for them. But these, this was some private corporation no, that generated these things. But it's not private enterprise, right? To the extent that we have authoritarian mandates where the federal government is now getting between your doctor and your pharmacist. Yeah, I know all that. But these particular tests were generated right, by- Right, but a, the point is, okay, suppose I put out a test that- doesn't test for COVID, but claims to, right? Do you think the federal government's going to put put up with that? I, why would I think they wouldn't? I don't know. I mean, are they even tracking all these? They're, the, all these tests are proliferating, right. and it's a wide open market. And like, But the point is, why is it? Why if is what? My, if my doctor cannot command my pharmacist to dispense a pharmaceutical that is legally within his rights, then why is it that we decide, well, it's free market, you can send out whatever test you want. The point is, we are deciding to regulate and we are regulating in an insane way. If the, look. Well, but I, I think I, th I think we actually agree, but I, I see no reason to assume that the federal government is in fact regulating the uh, particularly or watching or actually following through on the regulations they presumably claim to have in place, uh, the rapid antigen tests that um, at least that they aren't sending out. Maybe the ones that they're sending out have some kind of measures Look, in place. I don't, have the, I don't have the sense that they are doing anything right. But my point is the idea that, well, there's nothing that they could do about it. No, there's everything that they could do about it. And they would have an obligation. I didn't say there's nothing they could do about it. I said that I don't think they're doing anything. Of course they're not. But my right. point is 
to the extent that we are turning civilization upside down to prevent the spread of a virus, somebody who distributes a test that is incapable of telling you whether you have it while pretending that it can tell you whether you have it is causing people to get the virus. To the extent that the virus is deadly, it's killing them. That is exactly the sort of thing that government would be front and center That's what in. regulation is for. Right. Yeah. And so all I'm saying is, look, you've got a test. If it is out of date, and that is the problem with mm -hmm. it, then that is a place where there needs to be an urgent alert. This test is out of date. It does not contain data about whether you're going to have the current variant of COVID. Yeah, and I've, I've seen I've seen no no discussion from anywhere official about the relative efficacy. I mean, er, early on when there were calls for okay, we need we need lots of testing. You know, when 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 it still seemed like actually you know rapid testing. Um, and as often as you needed it across the population might actually get this thing under control so you could actually know and you know the variants were actually a lot more deadly than they are than the most recent one is um, that seemed like something to be done but I but but not not now well I want, I want to say one more thing before we move on we've seen testing protocols designed to increase the appearance of covid right high cycle thresholds mm -hmm. uh, uh, used to increase the sense that COVID is ever-present, right? To the extent that something is using COVID as an excuse, then what is more useful than people not being able to know they have it because they get false negatives, which appears to be the bias of these tests? So we at least have to ask that question, right? It is doing whatever the, whatever the public health authority is, is doing the inverse of what it should do, and tests that give you a false negative will cause more spread. Yep. Um, this next question is a big one. I don't think, I really feel like we need to get through more questions and we don't have very much time. So, um, unless you have something quick, I'm going to ask it and then ask us to just move on instead of riff for another 10 Got minutes. It. No adverbs. <sighs> Love you guys. Thank you for your courage. What in your opinion constitutes effective healthcare system? Greetings from Bulgaria. Uh, I do have something quick. Okay. We would be much better off if we allowed doctors to do medicine by trying things that seem like they're likely to work and pooling information on what they discover without interfering with them. That is not to say that that is the best system, but that would be so far and away better than what we've got <clears throat> that we are crazy to be doing the opposite of it. So that does not address um, anything about the economics of healthcare, uh, which is presumably usually when people say healthcare system, what they're talking about is how do all the players get paid such that the thing can continue. Uh, and I do not have, um, I don't have an answer. I, think, I, I don't know. I think you have failure modes in both sides. You've got a failure mode for single payer and you've got a fail, failure mode for uh, the free market. And we've seen both. And so we, we're, looking but I guess for a, I, yeah, we're looking for a game B It's answer. not at all clear to me that those are the only two ways to go. And I just, I, I do not know this landscape. At all right, all. I will say this. Mm -hmm. um, there is no way that unregulated or minimally regulated insurance is capable of delivering um, is capable of delivering on the objective. Insurance by its very nature profits when it insures those who need it least and uninsures those who need it most. And so if you've got private insurance companies as the core of your system for delivering healthcare, it won't work. At the point that you've regulated them enough to get rid of that problem, you've then invited the problems of incompetent governance. Okay, one more thing. <laughs> um, one thing that we do still have uh, is multiple um, 
historical traditions by which doctors become credentialed. And this is a good thing. We don't just have MDs, we also have DOs and we also have NDs. We have you know, medical doctors and we have osteopaths and we have naturopaths. And we also have Eastern traditions of various sorts, things like acupuncturists. And we also have chiropractors, like, you know, but, but among the, you know, the doctors with prescribing privileges, at least in the West, we have those three, MDs, DOs, and NDs. And they all come with different biases, with different traditions, with different um, go-to tools that they're most likely to pull out of their uh, toolkit first. And um, it is necessary that we continue to have all three of those. And I would say better if there were even more, but at least all three of those. And I have had, um, I have not actually had bad luck with osteopaths or naturopaths, but I know people who have. Um, there are certainly bad naturopaths out there, and there are certainly bad osteopaths out there. Um, probably everyone has had bad experiences with MDs, just because MDs tend to be the types of doctors that um, you you see most, and therefore you will tend to run into incompetent or gullible or foolish or whatever MDs more often than you run into uh, incompetent or foolish or gullible NDs or DOs, just because you run into them less in general. Um, but having these different traditions alive and well and able to practice and having, again, prescribed privileges as well and um, having relationships with hospitals so that they have the full gamut of healthcare um, at their disposal is absolutely necessary because if it was just MDs, that's a monopoly. And, you know, like, you know, antitrust thinking works in every domain and that would, that would be a problem. And frankly, um, all of the public policy advice, at least in the U.S., uh, emerges from the, the only the, the one system. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, recovered from COVID, not in a risk group, mostly just bad fever, no mucus or coughing until after I tested negative. Is this just my body clearing the debris or something else? We've had, um, certainly Zach and I had the experience and the two of you who had it much less had, had less of this, but also have heard from so many people, including doctors, um, that especially with Omicron, the incredible amount of mucus afterwards um, that your body is is producing um, is is truly one of the very notable things about this about this variant. And um, and I don't know why it should be different by variant. So two things. One, my advisor Dick Alexander used to talk about the moment at which your coughing changed from coughing on behalf of your pathogen as it tries to spread to new people to coughing yeah. on your own behalf, basically clearing uh, remnants. This is so important. Like say, say it again or I'll say it. Like a cough, a cough can be one of two things and it tends not to be both at the same time. There tends to be a temporal trajectory. Well, I don't know that, I don't know that you're not doing a certain amount of... Uh, okay, there was an overlap, yeah. period. Um, but at some point... At some point early in disease progression, your cough is often about spreading the disease, and therefore you're not coughing on your behalf. And late in the trajectory, after your body has basically tackled the pathogen, you are coughing on your own behalf. Yes, and and yet you know one of the one of the outcomes of this insane moment that we're all living through is that any cough um, is seen as a sign of a plague outbreak. And if you cough, <clears throat> if you cough anywhere out, um, people look at you like you're spreading death but if you think about it from an evolutionary point of view 
the pathogen has to not only successfully <clears throat> infect you, it has to induce behavior that causes you to spread it. And so damaging tissue that then irritates, you know, your, your trachea such that you end up coughing is a mechanism that is likely to happen, which means it's likely to infect those cells. One of the things that is causing the difference between our various reactions to this, though, is almost certainly, and this may even be luck of the draw, where we get infected, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And so the point is there's some, you know, did I get a different variant than you? No, almost certainly not. Our family probably had one variant of this. Yeah. We had different reactions to it. Some of that could be varying vitamin D levels, but pretty low chance because we've been supplementing enough, probably none of us were deficient. So the point is, well, what does account for the variation? There's a genetic background stuff, possibly. There's what viruses you've had. Maybe I've had more coronaviruses up till now, and so my immune system, you know, was better able to spot this one. And, you know, Toby's youth obviously worked in his favor, very likely. But there's also this simple question about the locality of your infection and then what that tells you about what your trajectory is going to be what the symptoms will be and how long it will take to clear and that also is a reason that these vaccines kind of suck right mm -hmm. you're injecting something into your arm even if it worked exactly the way they had intended it to work yeah. it's not where you're going to get the infection so your immune system your your overall immune system being alerted isn't nearly as useful as your lungs being alerted um and anyway lots yep. downstream from that yep um, so, Zach, we're at close to an hour, I imagine. <clears throat> okay, we're, I'm going to try to, I'm going to get to, we just have way too many here that we didn't get to this time, even though we started out with a few. So, how do you reconcile Geert van den Bosch's thesis about vaccines driving escape variants with the fact that Delta and Omicron emerged in countries with low vaccination rates, India and South Africa? Um, I think, I think... Um, um, the his response with regard to India is that that's where there were vaccine trials going on, um, specifically in the place where um, Delta emerged. And then with regard to Omicron, Omicron is just so different um, that um, it's it's very hard. It's not at all clear that if Geert van den Bosch is correct, which um, it looks to me like he likely is, that Omicron is necessarily that. Um. Yes, I think this is a very, the problem is people, you know, oh, you're really saying it's the vaccine trial. That doesn't sound like very many people. The point is evolution is a much more powerful mechanism than you think. And basically, what is the difference? Think about it this way. What is the difference between a vaccine trial and a serial passage experiment, right? A serial passage experiment isn't a million ferrets. It's not a thousand ferrets, right? It might be dozens of ferrets right? It is a small number of individuals in which enough evolution takes place to be useful. We know this is true. That's why we do these experiments. And so the point is a vaccine trial is capable of doing that. And um, I believe this argument is compelling, uh, at least as far as where are the variants coming from? They're coming from selection due to the vaccines. Is that the only place they could come from? Not necessarily, but it is the most likely place. And to the extent that the evolution is spike-based, that's why. Oh boy. Okay. Um, our former student, Austin, says, can you outline your theory of gay, please? <laughs> Eventually and soon. You know what he'll say, Austin. Yeah. You know you know what happens here. Um, <clears throat> it's a hypothesis of gay, but it's a, it's a strong one. Um, <clears throat> daily average deaths are slightly higher in top 10 vaxxed states versus lowest 10 vaxxed states. NYT, 
CDC and HHS data. That's New York Times, Centers for Disease Control, and Health and Human Services data. How is this possible? Well, it, you know. You would have to go through it again for me to... Daily average deaths are slightly higher in the top 10 vaccinated states versus the lowest 10 vaccinated states. Um, there's a number of reasons it could be possible, and one of the possibilities is that um, you've got excess deaths resulting um, from adverse events from the vaccines. Right. That's a real possibility it's that we're not allowed possible, to say. It's noise. It's also possible. Um, right. Yeah, slightly higher if you know if if that's not significant in um, in any real sense, then doesn't mean anything. Not that if it was slightly lower, uh, we wouldn't they wouldn't be crowing about it. Yeah. But. Um, but yeah, you'd, you'd want to know if it's actually different. Could be ADE. I don't know whether these are corrected for the percentage of the population that's vaccinated. Who knows? They're, yeah. Oh, no. Does it say per capita? No, but top 10 vaxxed states versus lowest oh, 10 vaxxed well, states. Well, then it's a very, very rough measure. Yeah. So it, it could be a lot of things, including some very bad ones. Yep. Okay. Let us... Um, let us end with this question, which is a really good one, and we should probably spend a whole episode on it, but um, but we won't. Let's just take a first pass at, why should we trust you? I am a loyal listener and love you guys, but when I refer you guys to my friends, etc., I'm asked that question. Why should we trust you? Um, I, th I think this is an excellent question. Yeah, it's a good question. And um, you know, just first, first pass, uh, we tell you why we think what we think and we tell you when we think we've been wrong we correct ourselves and uh, we don't just error correct privately but we error correct publicly when it's when it's big enough to to warrant it you know there have been little little movement here and there on on various things um we of course put out so much content that doesn't mean that everyone will run into everything that we say but um we make a point of that that is um that is central to us being public in the world is that if we say something that we come to understand differently later, either because um, <clears throat> our analysis was wrong or because there is new data and therefore the situation has changed, we um, we will change uh, our position. And um, and we're also um, you know the opposite of uh, benefiting from our stance. Uh, so. You know the the one of the common things that is said of those of us who are dissenters, to use the language of Tablet Magazine, is that we are grifters, which suggests profiting uh, from a position that you might not even really hold. And uh, you know we are we are doing quite the opposite. We were when we started the podcast. Um, we we quickly got an audience and were um, quickly came to be making a nice income uh, through YouTube from speaking what we saw as truth about um, the pandemic. And we weren't running afoul, except for lab leak. We weren't running afoul of the dominant narratives for a while. And um, when we started to, uh, we got um, demonetized and we um, you know, lost access to a number of the uh, outlets and places where we, we had previously been able to um, publish things and speak. And it would have been much easier to just either stop talking about it or to change our tune. And the fact is that both of us would rather be talking about other things, right? This isn't this isn't what we what we want to be talking about. And I'd much rather be talking about rat bats. <laughs> um, 
but here we are because it feels damned important and uh and and we hear from so many people um that they are grateful to have a source that does error correct and does does come with some humility but also confidence that what our what our values are what our scientific backgrounds are combine into a model that actually has over and over and over again uh predicted accurately what is to come so i want to refine some of what you said okay um and take a different tack the fact is a we're not telling you to trust us but predictive power ought to tell you whether or not we are trustworthy. But trustworthy also means a couple different things, right? Um, there are people that I trust. When I say that, I'm talking about ethically. I am not talking about their judgment. I don't trust anybody's judgment completely, including my own, right? The fact is we all have incomplete data. We all make errors in analyzing it. And the question is, what do you do when you make an error, right? That is the indication. And whether you're good at this game or not good at this game can be read in your ability to predict things that are not known and the question of how far ahead you can predict them, right? Those two things are a good indication. And a single prediction doesn't tell you anything, but a track record does. So you can decide for yourself. But if you look back at all of the things that we have said, and you look at how they have uh, fared over the course of the pandemic, you will see, hey, we have a hell of a track record, right? The thing I feel least good about is masks, which I thought were likely to work. And yep. I think I was too slow to recognize that the evidence suggested that they were actually ineffective, mm -hmm. cloth masks especially. Yeah. And, but, and this is something that we've said, this correction, several times. Several different times. Yeah. Right. Um, I do not, you know... There's this this grifter thing, which I detest as an attack, because I know, and anybody who knows us well knows, that we are not motivated by money. I do not want to use as a litmus test, did you come out ahead or not? No, that's, we can't not, that's not the right litmus test. We can't yeah. dictate whether or not we will come out ahead or not in the end. The point is, it wouldn't change what we were saying at all, and it didn't. The fact is, when YouTube demonetized us, it knocked out more than half of our family income, and they gave us a path back, and we said no. Mm -hmm. Right. We continue to do what we do. And so that tells you, right, if that results in people thinking that we're worth listening to and finding some way to support us. Great. That's good. That's the way it should work. But it's not why we did it. Right. We did it because it was the right thing to do. And that's really the reason that you, you should trust us if you do. And you shouldn't take our word for it. You should go back and look. And, you know, for your friends who don't know whether they can trust us, the point is, Give it time, right? <clears throat> Listen in and yeah. see whether or not it results in you being ahead of the curve. And frankly, we will never know. The people who have been listening to us, right, would have been supplementing vitamin D. They would have been taking advantage of the outdoor environment. There are so many different ways in which they might have been materially healthier and happier and better connected and better informed and not been so damn surprised by the failure of all of the things that haven't worked. And the point is, that's probably why you're tuning in, right? You yeah. want to you want to know more about what's coming than other people because they're misinformed and you don't want to be. Let me add one more thing. I'm reminded of what, how I used to begin every uh, program, every academic program at Evergreen when I was a professor there, um, which is the very first day of class. I would say, uh, "Don't trust me." 
I haven't earned it yet. Yeah, I have a degree and I'll be writing your narrative evaluations and I've written the curriculum and all of this. Like, you know, I, I am I am at the moment the authority standing in front of the room and I believe that I have things that I can teach you and that you will end up uh, more wise and able to solve problems for yourself um, as a result of being in this room with me for the next 10, 20 or 30 weeks or in the field or wherever. But don't take my word for it, for God's sake. And don't take the word of the University of Michigan who awarded me this degree or the Evergreen Hiring Committee that hired me, uh, which are the ways by which I got to be in front of you. Don't, don't trust any of those people. You watch and you engage and you question and uh, you, you, know, you posit the hard questions and you also observe when over time I get it right, I don't get it right. And that's that track record of predictions that were risky and turned out to be right um, that provides a basis for trust. Yeah. And I would also say you, you mentioned in, in your answer there, personally, what I do when I'm trying to figure out whether or not somebody is for real, right? I watch very carefully how they deal with questions that they do not know are coming. Right. Somebody who has a pretty slick story and sounds yeah. really good and you're not in a position basically to evaluate what they're saying because it's not your area. Right. That falls apart if they are faced with difficult questions. Right. They will not be able to answer them compellingly and mm -hmm. they will resort to, you know, manipulative tricks and things like that. If somebody is capable, you know, if they say, hey, hey here's a here's a, a thesis you haven't heard. Mm -hmm. It says some radical things. Um, but here's why you ought to uh, put stock in it. And then they're faced with questions and they field them well. It's like, well, now I know something. That's a, mm -hmm. that's a model with depth. And if they don't field them well, I say, well, I don't know what that was. But Yeah. No, you, you, you should not trust people or outfits um, that are unwilling to, to field questions that they don't see coming. And, you know, there's lots of reasons in particular moments that there's no time, Q&As are unwieldy, whatever. Um, <clears throat> but... If, if people never think in front of you, if they never let you see them actually wrestle with ideas that they claim to hold dear in, in front of you, um, that suggests that either they're, they've accepted some ideology that's pat and they themselves don't understand it, or that they are obscuring something that's inconsistent just below the surface. Uh, I imagine there are more explanations than that, but those are two um, likely ones. If people are unwilling to um, do any kind of a live fire, exercise yep all right <clears throat> i think that was a good place to end indeed um, <clears throat> we will i believe be back the normal time um next week we may be transitioning into doing <clears throat> late friday um things in the future but for next week we'll be here at uh 12 30 p.m saturday pacific time saturday and uh, i guess the um on my patreon this Sunday is the private Q&A, um, so if you liked this, you'll probably like that. Consider joining us. Um, we leave them up, too, so if you can't join us live, um, it remains up, and you can look at the chat, too. And anything else before we sign off? I think that's it. All right. Be good to the ones you love, eat good food, and get outside. Be well, everyone.